Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. G'day, g'day, g'day. My name is Adam Jones, mate. We just had a cracking interview with uh, Timber Hawkeye. Timber Hawkeye, the author of Buddhist Boot Camp and Faithfully Religionless. So his books are required reading in some schools in the US. He's doing a lot to show how the East the East or the Buddhism can help you in your, your life as a Westerner, usually the reader. Yeah, so he was uh, in corporate America and eventually came to realize that that's probably not the life he wanted to live. And went. Uh, he lived uh, for a little while in a monastery, and basically he's trying to bring back some of those those principles and teachings to yeah help people live a. You don't have to become a full Buddhist, but there's everyone can apply Buddhist principles to their life. Yeah, so love it. So I hope you guys get out uh, out of it as much as we did. We we love chatting to him, and uh, we love awesome his book dude. as well. So yeah, yeah we get stuck in. <laughs> Should we get stuck in? Eh? All right. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, well, we um, it was actually good. We got to got to do Buddhist boot camp and faithfully religionless again. So that that was good. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the message between um from both of them is similar, but the delivery is completely different. You know, mm-hmm. one is more of storytelling, and the other one is a bunch of short stories. Mm-hmm. So, did you? I'm curious. Did you have? Did you prefer one over the other? Uh, I read Buddhist Bootcamp first. I actually think I preferred Faithfully Religionless because I was um, I was curious about a bit of your story and, and you were able to work, as you say, pretty similar ideas, but worked in that way. I think I preferred um, Faithfully Religionless. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> <laughs> and Timber, we, we have to ask straight away, Timber Hawkeye, it's not a, uh, a name you hear every day. That's not the real name, is it? No, and that's and I talk about that in the book. Um, the when I moved from Israel to the States, no one could pronounce my birth name and I got the nickname Timber and it just sort of stuck and then in ninety five my first graphic design was published and when they asked me what name to put with the logo, I said, Well Timber and they said, Well what's Timber's last name? And I was in college. <laughs> the company that the design was made for was in New York and I tried to tell them the story. They were not interested in hearing it. They were just trying to get me off the phone. And I, li- I lived on Hawkeye Street, and I said Hawkeye, and I hung up. And I thought, Timber Hawkeye, that sounds good. And so I had my name legally changed to Timber Hawkeye back in 1995. Um, yeah. So that's what's on my driver's license. That's what's, yeah. Yeah, um, awesome. So growing up, you you are went from like the real Western influence, and you got influenced by the East at some stage. So in the book, you were talking about used to drink a lot, used to get girls, smoking, all that kind of stuff. So can you talk a little bit of that and how you were influenced by the East or how that got introduced into your life, uh, the Buddhism? Uh, one of the first books I read uh, was called Meditation by Knoth Iswaran, and it's the book is um, out of print now. But part of what he instilled in me was the idea that, you know, this – to, to think of your body like a jacket that you get to wear, but you only get one jacket for your whole life, you know? And so how would you treat that jacket? Would you throw it on the ground every day when you came home or would you take really good care of it because you want to keep that jacket for as long as you can? So I was reading that while still uh, partying and everything. And then one day I went to the bar right after reading it again and um, I sat down and I ordered my usual drink and then for whatever reason, that thought entered into my mind, like, you know, they talk so much about how alcohol is toxic, and and I thought, if I can come up with one good reason to pick up that drink, then I'll do it. 
and it's been 15 years and I've wow. yet to come up with a good reason to pick it up. And that's kind of been my filter in, you know, it, it, it's, it was really logic that brought me to Buddhism. It wasn't an infatuation with, you know, all the deities or anything yeah. like that. It's just made logical sense. Like, hey, take good care of yourself. You know, yeah. and so when I'm tempted to eat something deep fried or drink something that's not good, I just think to myself, like, can you come up with a single good reason mm. other than it tastes good, you know, mm. to do this? And yeah. if I can't, I don't. So nice. Well, on that, on down the line, can you give us uh, some of the the basics of of Buddhism? I guess as a as a real beginner, if someone had never heard anything about it, what are some of the the absolute basics? I guess. Well. <laughs> There's a, a common misconception that Buddhism can be encapsulated into something very simple and much like any other tradition or um, even some religions, um, there's 800 different schools of Buddhism. So it can get very complicated and it makes sense because when the teachings went from India to China, they got a little Chinese culture flavor and then when the teachings went to Tibet, when the teachings went to Thailand, and that's why you see Korean Buddhists and, you know, Japanese and the Japanese tradition is very much engulfed in a lot of Zen. But um, in in its simple source, um, Buddhism is not a religion in any way. Um, there is no concept of creation of how the world began which is kind of consistent with all other world traditions there is no god figure you know someone um who created it all and when it all started um any reference in buddhism to a higher power refers to nothing outside your own body and it implies that it's within you but that means also it's within everyone you look and see and in everything um I think there's a direct correlation between that and even some of Jesus's teachings, you know, when he said mm. the kingdom of God is inside you and all around you. And, you know, um, God, you know, if I, I'm God, I'm the son of God and we are all brothers and sisters, then we are all children of God. You know, so this yeah. whole so it's a lot of it is left for interpretation. But as it may, Buddhism is not. A religion, which is why you will find people who are Christian and practicing Buddhists mm-hmm. or Jewish and Buddhists, because it it actually strengthens your existing your existing faith, whatever it is. And that's what I like about the Dalai Lama instruction: is go ahead and study Buddhism, mm-hmm. but don't study it in order to be a Buddhist. Yeah. Study Buddhism to be a better whatever you already are. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so do you think, uh, say, with Jesus, when when Christianity started do you think some of those his teachings maybe got a little bit misguided by the church over history whereas he might have had a different idea at the time of of where that is now who knows you know (laughs) it's uh it's been translated transliterated and these are stories told about someone a hundred years after it occurred you know so a lot of stuff is lost in the and I don't think it you know, my practice has been after studying religion and psychology simultaneously to understand not just what people believe, but why we believe what we do. I realized that it's it's kind of detrimental to study religion or Buddhism in a scholarly sense, you know, to try and memorize sutras or mm-hmm. what did Jesus actually say and just loosen the grip a little bit and realize we no one knows what yeah. he or even the Buddha ever actually said but what is the intention and i think Mm -hmm. the intention behind a lot of these teachings and philosophies and 
um, is all very much to, to unite us and to, to make us realize just what a, how important we are and what an impact we can have, a positive impact we can have on ourselves and the world around us. So um, I, I can't answer that. I don't know <laughs> what Jesus, what was Jesus' intention? Yeah. I, <laughs> um, Difficult question. But I trust that they would. Um, yeah. Then after, so you, you said you had that little bit of glimpse into Buddhism, uh, and then you went you went full on. Is that right? You went overseas. Uh, yeah, I, it was it was an interesting. I it's kind of how I operate. I don't I don't slowly go into the pool. I just jump yeah. into the deep end. <laughs> awesome. And I think you know the full immersion, just kind of like when I moved to the states and I didn't speak a word of English. You know, and I had the option to go through the very slow process and even go to school with my cousins who also spoke Hebrew and all, to have them help me. And I said, no, I just the only mm. way I'm going to learn is full immersion. Yeah. Um, and the pendulum was kind of swinging. I think in generally it wasn't I wasn't searching for religion. I wasn't searching for an, an answers, I, much like many people at that point where you're fed up with the corporate world. And you're just looking for a way out. I was escaping, and um, I chose something that made logical sense. It was a simple and uncomplicated life. Um, it was a great opportunity. Um, the Buddhist teachings definitely resonated with me. But then that's when, of course, I realized how complicated that world can be. Yep. You know, there's so much dogma even within that world. Mm. And I said, no, that's what I was running away from. Mm. You know, this is complicated. So as the pendulum swung, I thought, you know, it's, there's really a middle path, which is to honor the ancient teachings, but find a way to implement them into our daily lives. Yeah. And that's what I hope to offer others is to say, you know, this wasn't only applicable back 2000 years ago, or if you're a monk living in a monastery, but if you can find inner peace in downtown Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> you can find it anywhere. And that's the key. And that's why I, I'm doing this the way I do it, because... It's the only way is to lead yeah. by example. So how would... Because <clears throat> they seem like two opposite ends of the spectrum, say some of the Buddhist teachings and say the corporate world where everyone's... There's power games and you know, there's a, mm -hmm. bit of a bit of a whole show. So how do you implement some of the, the Buddhism, the Buddhist principles into, say, if you're fully entrenched in the, in the corporate world? Well, it's interesting you say that because even within the, the Buddhist monastery, you will see that there's a power trip that there is a hierarchy that someone's like, well, I'm a better Buddhist than you, you know, like it's, it's really funny. Um, and, and, but that was a really good glimpse that the problem isn't the corporate world. The problem isn't Buddhism. The problem isn't Los Angeles or Sydney or, you know, London or any big cities that people tend to blame the problem on things outside themselves. But the problem is the ego within and the ego is going to come out whether you're trying to be a, a Zen priest or yeah. if you're trying to be a CEO. So um, I think the applicability of the teachings um, is really imperative in, in, in whatever you do. And so to keep the ego in check. And, and by that, I mean, if, if there is a, a quote unquote God within, if there is um, someone really kind and compassionate and patient and giving and forgiving within you and then there's also a very greedy power hungry um shallow angry hateful person within you um and and even as kids when we grew up we saw that in cartoons an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other the, the idea that there are two voices within us competing for our attention is is known to everyone 
what the Buddhist tradition does is it says, okay, we honor both of those voices. We acknowledge there's an ego within, but there's also a God within. And we invite you to make a commitment to follow the God within. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you see the ego and you say, I see you, <laughs> but I'm going to listen to God instead. And it's, it's just a, it's a path of finding. And whether, again, you're in the corporate world or at a monastery or in a relationship or not, um, you find a way to acknowledge where is this directive coming from? Is it my ego or is it the, the compassionate, kind and patient part of me? And, and you can personify them. Like there's a Gandhi within and there's a Hitler within, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I love those because they were just men and mm-hmm. they were presented a perfect example of what happens when you follow forgiveness and kindness and what happens when you follow greed and hatred. Yeah. I, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, definitely. So is it being like with the ego, you're best off um, for taking the Eastern principles in. You're best off being conscious of the ego first. Is that just being aware that of the the two different parts of you first, or at least two? Um, <laughs> some of us have a whole lot more voices than that in our heads. And yeah. in fact, a friend of mine has a practice. Um, she calls naming her demons, in the sense that if you're prone to anger, for example, you give your anger a name. Because when you, you know, when you get angry, you literally do things that you normally wouldn't do or you get jealous or you get. So give those um, emotions, feelings a name and don't identify with them and say, that's not who I want to be. That's someone else. Um, And the ego, it's like, that's not me. That's this. It's like when your thoughts are being hijacked by the ego Um, and to really acknowledge it, but identify with your intentions and go from there. And that's why it's called a practice because the more years in your life you've practiced listening to the ego, the harder it is going to be to let it go. And I don't think the point is to destroy the ego because then you're focusing all your attention on the ego, which the Mm -hmm. ego loves. Mm -hmm. And then it just keeps getting bigger. It's just to acknowledge it, to say, I see you, but I'm going to listen to this other guy instead. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. I think that was good. We we uh we did a, a good twenty twenty five minute episode on some of our favorite bits of uh, of Buddhist boot camp, but oh. we wanted to get a bit more insight from yourself uh, about some of our favorite bits. Uh, one of the parts I really liked, I guess, something along the lines of pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yes, that's if you were to encapsulate all of the Buddhist teachings into one sentence, that is it. That pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Yeah, nice. Um. It's, uh, yeah, sorry, go, go can ahead. you, tell, can you no, no. tell us a little bit more? So yeah. How do you choose um, not to suffer? <laughs> well, you realize that the suffering is a choice. So that's the first thing. Like if you're um, stuck in traffic, for example, or if you're going through a hard time, um, I think a really good example of this is um, when a man said, I was sad because I didn't have shoes, but then I met a man who didn't have feet. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that stuff that you realize that we create so much of our own suffering in our mind because we create a story and we label our situation and we say, This is bad, this is horrible, this is wrong. I'm stuck in traffic. And it's like, You're not stuck in traffic, you are traffic. You're part <laughs> yeah. of the problem. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. saying that you're stuck in traffic, it implies that everybody else is in your way and you're creating your own suffering by thinking that you are somehow superior to others and that this shouldn't happen. Yeah. But when you step outside of that, then yeah, the discomfort of going two miles an hour 
is unfortunate, but you're, you'd be like, you know, I'm just going to pop in an audio book and I'm going to enjoy this mm -hmm. time yeah. or I'm going to sit here and get angry and yell and honk my horn and give the finger to everyone who drives <laughs> by. It's like, yeah. so it's about perspective. So I think pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. It makes you realize the pain is there. But whether we identify with it and create a story around it, and that's totally optional. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I, this is, of, of course, a very simplified explanation of that um, sentence. But because um, we could talk for hours yeah. just about <laughs> yeah, that, absolutely. People always go, "Well, no, well, my 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 knee really hurts. I'm not imagining it." <laughs> yeah, um, it's not about telling someone or minimizing their pain at all. It's acknowledging the pain, but you know you're focusing on what you can't do mm -hmm. whereas you can back, take a step back and go well what can i do and yeah, then you nice. realize that the list of blessings in your life is significantly longer than the hardships and then you live in gratitude and you can be happy even if your knee hurts and you're stuck in traffic yeah quote unquote yeah, yeah. amazing and i think that that also leads you said you said that building a story around it leads into also the the feelings versus emotions can emotions, you tell us the yeah. uh, the, the difference between feelings and emotions? In a nutshell, yeah. <laughs> uh, a feeling, you know, we all have them, and a feeling lasts between 45 seconds and a minute and a half. That's it. And we all feel, you know, that we're totally happy and totally sad and then disappointed and then ex excited, all, you know, all throughout one day. In fact, we'll use the traffic. You know, you're, um, you're stuck in traffic and you're very upset, but then your favorite song comes on the radio and you're dancing in your seat, you know, <laughs> and somebody cuts you off and you get really angry and then you get home and you're relieved. And, and that's perfectly natural. That's how feelings do. They come and they go. Um, but an emotion is when you take that feeling of, let's say, anger because somebody cut you off and you write a story around it. You say, oh, it's always those jerks and BMWs. Yeah. And now you have a story around mm -hmm. it that it's, and the following week, you can see a BMW, and you will get angry all over again. That car could be parked. It's not even doing anything. <laughs> yeah. But now you have a story around it. Um, and that's how we can create, and that's how feel, um, an emotion can last for 20, 30 years, and you can still be angry about something today that happened 10 years ago. Mm. Mind you, what happened 10 years ago, as upsetting as it was, it happened and it's gone. It's over. Mm -hmm. It's 10 years ago. The only thing that brings it back to the present is the story, it's the emotion, it's the inability to let it go. And every time you tell that story to someone or to yourself, you're reliving it, you're reinforcing mm. that. And it, that could, that's how people can hold a grudge for years and it's just not healthy and it's definitely not harming the other people. It's yeah. only harming you. That's toxic weight that we choose to carry that, that's totally unnecessary. Yeah. Mm, absolutely. Nice. So in, in the uh, Buddhist boot camp, you talk about working part-time to live full-time. Is that something you still do or can you... Can Absolutely. You, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you think someone would say, you know what? Working part-time is just not working for me. I want to go back to 60 hours. <laughs> uh, I think once you... It's, it's, a, it's a question of values. You yeah. know, when you start valuing your free time a lot mm. more than tangible material things... Yeah you it readjusts your life and you know people uh, what would they say in fight club that we work jobs we hate so we can buy stuff we don't need to yeah. impress people we don't like yeah. um and a lot of people are doing that i used to do that day in and day out working and, and and i had three cars and i had the condo and i had 
But I was miserable. All I did was work. Mm-hmm. And my focus was work. And my life was work. And one day, one of the other paralegals at the law firm was celebrating her 30-year anniversary. And the fact that she was celebrating 30 years in a cubicle terrified me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I saw that that's where my life was headed. And I wanted m- m- something different. Um, and I had started visiting um, Hawaii regularly. And the island lifestyle that was much a slower pace uh, very much appealed to me and I realized um, it was right around the time that I had paid off all my debt you know and for many years I was sending you know a thousand dollars every month to pay off my credit card debt for all my expenses when I was younger Um, (laughs) and then I realized one day I was like this is the last check this is the last time I have to send this money to the credit card company and I thought well what am I going to do with that extra thousand dollars next month when I don't have to send it to them and I realized well I don't have to make it I can just work less Hmm. so that kind of became a game you know like oh how much less you know like (laughs) how how little work can I do how little money do I need to make and I realized that when I just look if I live somewhere where I don't have to have a car I can get around on a bicycle or walk everywhere And if I live somewhere where the weather is nice all year round and then I can enjoy the outdoors all the time, I can go hiking, backpacking. And, you know, when you live somewhere cold um, and you want to get together with your friends, you often do it at a restaurant or a bar. So you're spending money, you know, to just hang out with your friends. But in Hawaii, you just go to the beach. So it's free. So the beach is free. Hiking is free. Playing volleyball is free. Tennis is free. So everything I loved to do was free. So for me, it made sense to move to Hawaii. I'm not suggesting that um, everybody sell everything they own <laughs> in Hawaii. But I am suggesting that we we all have our Hawaii, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are, we're all busy by choice. So the first mm-hmm. thing is stop complaining about it and reevaluate, you know, is it really worth working 50, 60 hours a week to have these things? If the, because the things aren't going to bring you happiness. Yeah. You know, happy. You know, it's happiness is sustained uh, regardless of outside influence. If you find inner peace and happiness, then it doesn't matter if you have stuff. In fact, you're often happier without it, with the less stuff. And that's what I found is that the less stuff I owned, the happier I was, and the less stuff I needed. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just free. You know, I could just up and go and move somewhere, or you know, be gone for three weeks at a time, or because I didn't have, you know, a mortgage or a house or, you know, so it, it was very liberating, if yeah. nothing else, is to live a simple and uncomplicated life. Awesome. Real. You know, in the book also, you talk about going on a media diet. Can you explain a little about like, why you're going a media diet or what are the benefits of, of doing something like this? Because we don't just eat with our mouths. Uh, mm-hmm. We eat with our eyes and our ears as well. And... You know, and, and when you when you eat toxic stuff, you know your your stomach is upset. You 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 feel it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and when we eat, when we consume uh, negativity and war and paranoia and anger and violence, we also experience it. We become paranoid. We become fearful, and then we start making fear based decisions. So you know, you are what you eat. Mm-hmm. But it's important to remember that we are consuming stuff with our eyes and our ears, with the music we listen to, um, the newspaper we choose to or not to read, TV shows, movies that we choose to watch. They're all affecting us 
uh, whether we realize it or not. And um, I think, again, a really good example of this is if you're driving down the road um, on the highway and you're listening to very fast music, you're probably going to drive a whole lot faster. Yeah. Um, mm. And if you slow it down, then you're just chilling, you know, on the side, I, I was going to say on the right lane, which is the slow lane, but I think <laughs> the right lane is the fast <laughs> that's, lane. Yeah, that's correct. right, yeah. Then you could just be in the slow lane and just not be in a hurry because you don't have that outside influence rushing you. And so mm. it's very important to realize how much of the stress in our lives is created by us, by the choices that we make. Mm -hmm. If we choose to live in a stressful environment uh, or work in a stressful job, we can't blame the job. We chose the job. You know, we can't blame the relationship. We chose to be in it. We can't, you know, it's, it, we do a lot of, of pointing the finger away from us. And I think what Buddhism does is it invites you to look in the mirror and go, how are you creating your own suffering and how can you stop? Nice. Awesome. I love it. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. Can we just uh, we'll change gears a little bit? Obviously, you must, yeah. you must read a lot because uh, every chapter's got a, a good and amazing quote. And you're, you're also very quotable yourself. I love some of, the, uh, <laughs> some of your sentences that you, you've crafted. What are, what are some of your favorite books? Oh my gosh! Can of worms. I would definitely say uh, "The Untethered Soul" by Michael Singer is one of the first books that comes to mind because I remember reading it, and it's one of those books that you read a paragraph and then you have to stop, and you have to read it again, and then again, <laughs> and you just because every, it just shifts your perspective so much. Um, and it just introduces some really, really important... So it's not a very um, thick book by any means, but it takes a long time to read because mm -hmm. every single thing readjusts your perception of the world. And th those are the kinds of books that I love to read that yeah. have me question everything I think I know. And when I'm done reading it, I don't know more. I acknowledge that I, I, I know very little. Mm -hmm. And that is very liberating to me is to, um, to realize just how much just yeah it, it's just amazing how much like how many different perspectives there can be of the same thing and just when you yeah. think you find something you meet someone who gives you a completely different outlook and you're like guess i didn't find it after all <laughs> yeah, and, awesome. and that's a very healthy place to be to not try and lock it down i think a lot of times people try to find an answer and i think a very healthy place to be very liberated place to be is to acknowledge Either there is no answer or there are multiple answers. Mm, nice. So um, The Untethered Soul is really good. Um, Conversations with God by uh, yeah. Neil Donald Walsh. And pretty much anything by Stephen Mitchell. Uh, Buddhism Without Beliefs or Confessions of a Buddhist Atheist. Uh, the, the, the Four Agreements by Don uh, Miguel Ruiz. Um, it's just every everybody has a different... Um, style of author that they prefer like I really like Stephen Mitchell but his writing is very academic you know mm -hmm. and so that may not resonate with a lot of people and I just I, I get all geekied out by it and, and yeah. nerded out and I love it but a lot of people prefer the more colloquial um, you know Jack Cornfield or um, yeah. Eckhart Tolle they're all mm -hmm. wonderful um, and that's what I love about all these authors that I consider that I'm working with, you know, that we're not in competition with each other. Yeah. <laughs> we all have the same message. Yeah. And it's just your, one author may resonate with one person, uh, whereas another one doesn't. Just like songs, you know, and, and musicians, 
um, it's all art. It's all beautiful, but it doesn't all resonate with everyone. Hmm. Awesome. You listed six books and, and three authors, and I actually haven't read any of those. So that's uh, oh, that's wow. good. A whole bunch of new recommendations for me. If you go yeah. to my website, um, if you go to BuddhistBootCamp.com, um, there's a reading list awesome. of nice. my recommended books. So there's your list for the year. Yeah, I'll sure. check in with you at the end of the year yeah. to see how many you've got. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Uh, kind of on topic, what is, what is the most valuable thing you've ever learned? And that might be through books or through teacher or through meditation or, or anything. Don't believe everything you think. Yeah. Love it. I think that's, it's just to realize that feelings aren't facts. That's mm-hmm. a very valuable one. Mm-hmm. Um, then you top, you stop taking them so seriously. You stop taking things so personally. You realize, hey, this is it's not a fact. It's a feeling, and I can't make a decision based on on that. You know, I need to actually get some more information, um, and to not believe everything I think because mm-hmm. my my thoughts are a product of such limited perception. You know, we. we we only see a three-dimensional world just like a camera captures only two, but we're, we're aware that there's so many dimensions at work that we just, you know, so um, I take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, I have a lot of trust that everything will be okay because it's always been okay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think every one of us can do that. Everything has worked out in your life so far or you wouldn't be here. So your track record is 100%. You've survived everything <laughs> that's happened. You're likely to survive whatever comes next. And so I always suggest to people to proceed with curiosity, not caution. Wow, um, nice. And just stay curious. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. Um, another uh, one final gear change. We normally, uh, we normally put a link to either uh, Amazon or Book Depository for people to buy the books. But I saw on your... Uh, site. I bought Faithfully Religionless directly through your site because you have oh, a, yes. uh, you, you've got a one for one there. Um, oh yes. You... Um, when you, whenever someone, I personally don't, you know, I, a lot of authors and bookstores are very angry with Amazon because you know Amazon is stealing business from the, you know, I'm grateful um, that Amazon serves a wonderful purpose in making the books available in places that don't have bookstores, um, but. Um, when someone does order the book from me directly for every book I sell, I also donate another copy of the book to the prison library project. Um, so, and that way you also get an autographed book or personalized if you want to give it as a gift to somebody. Um, and the prison library project has been, um, a a matter that's very uh, dear to me. Um, a lot of people give me a hard time for, um, working with inmates, um, but I collaborate with organizations that um, teach inmates yoga and meditation, um, and they're very hungry for information in there. You know, they they want books, they want inspirational books that aren't necessarily religious, and there's very few. Um, and the Prison Library Project receives 300 letters a week from inmates looking for books to read. Wow! And so, yeah, and so you- and they and they just donate them, and so I just give them books and I say, go send it, you know, spread it. (laughs) Unbeknownst to me, I mean, at some point then I received an invitation to go and speak to the inmates at one of the prisons. Um, and before you know it, I'm, I'm meeting, um, uh, different inmates at, at different facilities and juvenile centers. And, um, there are six schools now that made Buddhist bootcamp part of their required reading curriculum. And, and so, yeah, uh, whenever you're supporting a local business, you're often, um, also supporting, 
um, a lot of other things other than, say, Amazon. Yeah. Um, but again, it depends. Um, if somebody can only afford the book through Amazon, by all means, get it through Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, per, I just want to get the message out there. Yeah. Um, that's my intention. and doesn't matter. And in fact, I always tell people, if you get a book, at least I want at least four different people to read your copy of the book. You know, mm. it's not about selling five more books. Like, don't no, just keep sharing it. Don't mm-hmm. ever let the book sit on a shelf. Just keep sharing it. Yeah, absolutely love yeah. it. Cool. Um, so we'll provide a link to the uh, yeah. prison book project. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. You can do that or to, um, whatever. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the situation is like in Australia with bookstores. Um, I did a book tour ac- across the the entire east side of Australia a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, and that was fantastic, and I'd love to come back. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's how I initially heard my my, uh, my friend's mom went to that that uh, the tour you did. So that's how I heard. Oh yeah, it. yeah. Oh, fantastic. Do you know which um, event she came to? Uh, it was in. She lives in Melbourne, I believe, but okay. she said it was uh, at least a, an hour out of the city. I don't remember where exactly, but yeah, it definitely was I, in the city. I love these little corners that I found, and either independent bookstores or yoga studios, and mm-hmm. wherever it was, it's it was fantastic, very welcoming um, audience. Um, Australia was really good to me. I'd love to come back. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, definitely. Well, let us know if you do. Um, a few, a, a couple more quick questions. Uh, what else is the the book done for you, or why why did you do the book in the first place? Oh, I I never actually sat down to write the book. I never had a thought in my head like, oh, I'm going to be an author. Um, I when I when I was talking earlier about how I sold everything I owned and moved to Hawaii to live a simple life. Um, naturally, my friends and my family freaked out. They, you know, like, what are you doing? You know, you're you're leaving the job and the cars and all of that, and you're going to go do what? You know, and so they asked me to keep in touch with them. So I started sending them a letter every month to let them know what's going on with me. And after about eight years, my best friend said, "You know, those emails you've been sending us have been really helpful um, for me on my own journey as I try to figure out what life choices I have." And I think a lot of other people would benefit from reading mm-hmm. those emails. And so, you know, I compiled them all together as a blog, and then the blog went to a book, and then HarperCollins picked it up, and now it's in multiple languages. In fact, next month is the four-year anniversary of Buddhist Boot Camp, and also uh, when we'll be publishing it in Spanish. So it's oh, wow. in Spanish, French, and uh, German, and Dutch, and um, Chinese. <laughs> uh, Polish, I think, is coming. So um, wow. it's it really took a life of its own, um, and all thanks to my friend Kim. It was her idea, and I'm I'm very grateful. Every time someone thanks me for the book, I I, I say thank Kim. It was her idea. Uh, <laughs> well, so. thanks Kim. <laughs> and then the second second book was just a direct result of the tour across the U.S., the U.K., and Australia. Is I met many people like you who loved the book, but they wanted to hear, like you mm-hmm. said, the story behind it. Like, tell me more. Your, your story, like yep. the memoir. And that's when, when I actually returned from New Zealand, um, that's when I said, I need to, I need to write this um, down. And that's when the second book was born. Awesome. Cool. All yeah. right. So thank you for both your books and, and your time today. We definitely learned a lot from both and speaking to you today. Definitely one of the most thank interesting you. guys I've, conversations yeah. I've ever had. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If I'm ever down there, I think we, all, we can all go hiking. Uh, definitely be a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Timba. Thank all you. Have a great day. I apologize for the technical difficulties we had. Yeah. I think we got through it. <laughs> we all did. good. All right. All right, guys. Talk See to you later. See you, bro. Uh-huh.
Thanks, guys, for listening. We hope you enjoyed that interview. We got a lot out of it, and I'm sure you did too. Guys, if there's one thing you can do for us, it would be hit subscribe or write a review. It means to like, give us good uh, good ratings on iTunes to more people are listening out here. Yep. Even mention it to one friend and say, no, there's two blokes out, right? And yeah. Yeah, it is. Sure, it is.